Rugby is not a sport for the faint-hearted, but one where there is nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. For 80 minutes, your body is either a weapon or a barricade in the collective quest for victory. But it's also a sport that teaches life lessons beyond mere bravery. Rugby gives each participant something much more. It instills fortitude. Webster's Dictionary defines fortitude as the strength of mind that enables a person to encounter danger or bear pain or adversity with courage. At 17, Henry was a promising rugby player for Saracens Academy. He's the brother of ex-Saracens flanker Will Fraser. Henry was a senior prefect at the world-renowned Dulwich College with the world at his feet. However, in the summer of 2009, a holiday with friends would change Henry's life forever. Growing up was always busy. Obviously, four boys, it was a very sporty household, very, very, very competitive household. I mean, sport was the one thing that kind of bound us all together. Of course, rugby is the main thing, but we're very close as brothers, we're always doing stuff together, playing out the garden together, always playing two on two, just... Yeah, we spent a lot of time together. It was kind of made sure he's as a family a lot of the time. Um, Mum's from a, a Greek background, Mediterranean background. It's all about family, all about food. So that was a lot of our time, kind of Sundays, Sunday lunches. I don't think you can just become that strong. So he must have always had it in him. People always say, I don't know how you all dealt with it so well. It's such a non-question because until you're in that situation, no one knows. Yeah. Like before the accident, if someone said to us, how do you deal with that happened to one of your brothers? I'd probably say I'd be in absolute state. But because of how Henry dealt with it, actually, you know, it made it a hell of a lot easier for, for the rest of us. Yeah, my first holiday abroad, big week away. I missed the first day because I got to the airport, got to the boarding gate, and my passport expired. So I had to do the walk of shame back through the airport to grab my stuff and then, yeah, come home and uh, next day up to Liverpool to get a new passport, a new flight. Flew out that evening to Portugal to join my mates for what was meant to be a, kind of the rest of the week enjoying the holiday. Our routine had been the same every day, kind of late nights, get up late, enjoy the time on the beach, go back to the house, get ready to go out. And one day we were just on the beach, mucking around, chucking a ball about. And I just ran into the sea to cool down like I had done earlier that day and every day that I've ever been on the beach. Just ran to a good depth into the water to a point where I thought, you know, the seabed would just keep getting deeper and deeper. But turned out there's just kind of a sand wall in the way pretty much. And, just gone headfirst into that. I opened my eyes and I was just staring down at the seabed, just floating there, just looking at my arms, literally just lifeless in front of me. And yeah, never been so scared in my life. Kind of at that point, I thought that was it. Because my head was down, my ears were covered, so I was just dead silent. I managed to turn my head slightly to one side and got an ear out of the water and I could just hear all the noise. And luckily, a friend was close by and he asked if I was okay. And I just, I just said no. Two of my mates then dragged me onto the beach and yeah, then I was just lying on the beach just staring up at the sky this time and you could hear all the noises around. You can still hear people enjoying themselves and you can hear the murmurs of people talking. And so it was a very weird moment at that point, kind of because I wasn't sure what my future would be, wasn't sure of another long-term prognosis of the injury or exactly what had happened. So what was meant to be an enjoyable lads holiday away kind of really took a turn at that point. We got a call from, I think it was mum initially, saying Henry's had an accident, nothing major, I think he's just bumped his head. They're just taking him to hospital, nothing too serious, so you know, don't worry about it. We got another phone call saying, your dad and I are going to fly out to Portugal to go see him. We don't know exactly what's happened, but you know, I'm sure it's nothing too 
too serious, we're just going to go out and see him. The next morning, we get a call basically saying that Henry had hurt his neck, like he couldn't move anything and he was, he was in a bit of bother. Almost every half hour for probably about two hours, there's another phone call and each time we got the phone call, the situation just got worse and got worse and got worse. When parents first turned up, it was very emotional. As soon as they walked in, I'd said I'd done something really stupid. Um, and they were like, no, it's fine, we'll get through this, we can do this. I was rushed to x-ray and then straight away a doctor came and he was screwing big metal screws into either side of my head. Basically traction. The pulley system, because I dislocated the fourth vertebrae in my neck. So I'd be lying flat, this metal brace in my head and some weights were hung off the end of the bed to try and literally pull my neck to allow the vertebrae to go back into place. I had all these drips, which are antibiotics and I had all kinds of pneumonia and septicemia. And from that point for the next week, I was just kind of just whacked out on so many drugs. For about a week, I wasn't really registering what was going on. Um, I knew things were bad and my heart stopped a few times. I'd have a pacemaker as well. And there wasn't kind of until after the second surgery where they had corrected the neck properly and my body was getting slightly better. I still wasn't in a good way at all. But then one of the senior nurses there, he came up to me and said to me, you'll never be able to move your arms and legs again. And that was when it all kind of, I was like, oh, this, all oh, right, this is, Bad. This is way worse than I ever thought. So he had his accident in Lagos, I think, which is right in the Algarve, and they airlifted him to Lisbon. And then he was in intensive care in Lisbon for three weeks. From what I remember, he got airlifted straight from Lisbon to Stoke Mandeville. We went to Zorm the day after he got back. And in the car journey there, mum was just kind of saying, like, look, I can't really prepare you for how he's going to be. He's not in a good way. He's got tubes coming out of sort of every orifice, he's on a life support machine, he's, he's lost a lot of weight, you know, all this kind of stuff. And the nurse kind of took us to one side and just said to us as brothers, said, look, you have to be prepared for the day where Henry's going to turn around to you and say that he doesn't want to do this anymore, that he wants to end it. Really? Yeah, which was, which was a, obviously, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to come to terms with seeing, the last time you, we would have seen Henry, he was this big sort of strapping young lad. Uh, and then you see him and, you know, he can't do anything. He's on a life support machine. And then, you, then on top of that, you're being told that he's going to want to kill himself at some point. Thank goodness, I don't think we ever got near that even being a possibility for yeah. it because of how he dealt with it all. Seeing him was hands down the worst day of my life, without shadow of a doubt, but equally hands down the best day because as horrible as it is seeing your little brother like that, the fact is we got to see him yeah. and we could very easily have not. <laughs> the first thing... Um, he said to me, when we all, we all came in, and I remember going down and giving him a hug, and then he, he, he looked up and he just said, um, he said, I can't hug you. And he's just like, shit, that's quite, that's, yeah, that's, that's quite a big thing. Um, and you're sort of saying, and I remember saying to him, I'd say, I, you know, trying in a sympathy, I was like, I, I know, I know. And he's kind of like, well, you don't. One thing I found throughout time in hospital was a lot of the stuff they tell you is never the things you'll be able to do later. It's always about, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. It brings you down a lot when someone's always in your ear telling you stuff you can't do. So then I suddenly thought to myself, well, kind of no one's blamed for what's happened, I may as well just go on with it. And then from that point, I switched my mindset to then think about, all right, if they're going to tell me stuff I can't do, I'm going to just think about things I can do. And before my accident, I was very negative. I thought very negatively about stuff and I'd always look at what I couldn't do. And I was in a situation where I kind of had everything taken from me and I had to change how I thought and look at what I could do was part of that. 13 months after the accident, Henry made the brave decision to go back to complete his A-levels, returning to Dulwich College in South East London. I spoke with Henry's boarding house master, 
Ali Henderson. He phoned up and, and basically said, I want to come back to school. So I went into school because it wasn't a decision I could make. I went into school and the um, deputy head at the time, whose son was really good friends with Henry anyway, yeah. and he was like, look, I think we need to try and make this work for him because it's the first time he's, he's met an opportunity, met, met a challenge, if you like. Yeah. You know, and is someone going to open the door for him yeah. and say, yeah, you know what, why not? Give it a go. And I kind of feel, you know, there's a point where if we'd said no, it could have had another impact on him. Of and course, so yeah. all of a sudden people are putting barriers in his way. Yeah. I suppose it was one of the first opportunities where he's asked a question and someone said, you know what, why not? Let's go for it and see how it goes. Yeah. The setup was he had a room of his own and then next door he had a carer who would, who would stay with him. That was some of that. That would change, that person would change fairly frequently. Um, but then he had um, a, a helper in lessons, a girl called Hayley, who was lovely. And she, I mean, she sat in his economics lessons, she sat in his PE lessons and she would scribe most of the notes for him in class. And then they'd come back and she'd, you know, she'd be there during the day and, and helping him with that academic side of things. Henry's life would once again dramatically change forever when one day, sitting in front of his iPad, using his mouth stick to scroll through apps, he came across an art app. This app would become the catalyst that inspired Henry to take up art again. Starting out with a pencil attached to his mouth stick, he soon graduated onto watercolours. Yeah, I always loved art when I was younger. I always loved just finding stuff to draw. Brothers always take the look at me for being a bit of a loner out the brothers when we were younger, because they'd always be outside playing and I'd be inside drawing stuff. I just liked creative things. But as I got older, I really fell out of love with the subject, didn't like the way it's taught, I didn't really enjoy it at all. So then I didn't think about it for ages and one day I was, had a sore on my back, so I was stuck in bed. Then I was just drawing on my iPad, just with a stylus taped on the end of a mouse stick touching the screen of an iPad. And it felt great, and then obviously that's led to all the art I'm doing now, and it's funny, without the accident, I wouldn't have rediscovered that love again, that love I had when I was just a small boy. I remember the moment, there was a Christmas he was here, and he came back, and I said, oh, what did you get for Christmas? He said, oh, I got an iPad. I was like, that's brilliant. And they got him an iPad, but they got him one of the pens. And it was, you know, you look at it now, you think, well, everyone's got a pen on their iPad, everyone's got a pen on their phone, you can draw. But for Henry, that's the, the I think that was the thing that really opened up his world it meant all of a sudden he didn't need to have anyone typing for him. He could just, using his mouth with the, the stylus in his mouth, he could get on email, he could draw, he could write, he could do all that. You know, it was slow to start with, but you just saw him flourish with that. You know, just to have that ability to contact people himself and not have to say, oh, you know, can you dial that on the phone, can you do this? You know, it gave him that sense of independence again. I mean, look at the very, very first painting I did. It was of the Johnny Wilkinson drop goal. I guess it was just kind of the first moment I thought, oh, actually, what I'm doing does look quite good. This is something I am enjoying doing. It was a painting I did of Steve McQueen. And at that point, I completely changed my style of painting. And that led to opening me up to so many different things and completely changed my style. So that's a very important piece to me. Well, in again. Yeah. So this is it. This is Henry's room. Big man's room, yeah. He had his proper bed on here. We had some fans and some heaters in here to help him sort of regulate his temperature. But like any other kid, you know, he had his, he had his computer, his desk. You know, he, he was always a focused individual who enjoyed life. And he's come back and he's taken the same attitude to life. He's just got different parameters that he's working to. I'm going to enjoy life as best I can. I'm going to work as hard as I can. He's having a whale of a time still and just making the most of it. It's brilliant. You know, a number of times, you know, when it's a nice sunny day like today, he'd be out on the track, you know, just chilling out with his mates, you know, just, just like any other kid was doing. And the, the only difference was that 
that was the physical difference. But otherwise, he, you know, he was here. He came back, and he was like, "I'm, I'm going to be here, and I'm going to make the most of what I'm, what I'm doing here. I want to get my A levels." It was amazing the focus that he had on that. It was just, I'm, you know, I'm not going to let anything stop me. I've made the decision. This is what I'm going to do, and 100% just full on. Henry has since gone on to write the Sunday Times bestseller, The Little Big Things, a memoir which recounts Henry's journey thus far, even garnering a foreword from none other than J.K. Rowling. Growing up, the Harry Potter books were huge. I remember when the cassettes came out, the audiobook read by Stephen Fry, me and my brothers, we used to listen to them all the time. And, they, and then for her to then know me and for us to chat and for her to then write the foreword for my book and things, I still can't go over it. And then to be on Jonathan Ross show again was just a completely mad time. Surprised because there's an introduction to it. It's by J.K. Rowling, mm. who you had met, and she has come to your defence in the past, I believe. Tell me about your connection with J.K. Um, the time she came to step in on my defence on Twitter was I got an email from someone um, a couple of years ago now. Uh, this random woman emailed me to say I should have died that day in the woods when, um, when the accident happened. She said I was stupid for what I did, and this and the other. And, uh, of course I read it, first of all I was a bit shocked, but then I sent her a lovely reply back, very calm. Um, and I put it on. No, but uh, Aldi, people think you're being sarcastic, but you did send a nice response back, didn't you? I think we have the exchange, don't we? Do we have that? Can we put that up there? Okay, so we've got, thanks, Laura. I hope that you don't have to go through what I've been through. It's pretty tough. Which is about as nice a response yeah. as you could send back to someone who has displayed a rather petty, yeah. unpleasant stupidity. And with Henry now, obviously his rise to stardom, stardom. on TV, which I, I found it weird watching him on TV anyway. You know, you put Jonathan Ross on, how well his book's gone and, and how that's been catapulted into the top, top few books, top I know. ten books, something like that. I know. Well, it's a nice, easy read, isn't it? Exactly, you know, yeah. you, get, you get brought along with the emotion of the story as well. Yeah. It's, you know, I've, I've read it. As, all my family have read it because they obviously all know Henry's story. And they're just amazed by not only the way he's written it, but just the, the story and the honesty that he, he portrays the whole yeah. thing with. I mean, when I first read his book, because we had to read the, the sort of draft copy, and there was even bits in that that he'd never said to us in person. You know, it was incredibly honest and... How was it reading the book? How, how uh, it was tough. Luckily, it was short, so it was quite easy. Mm -hmm. But um, it was really hard because there's little bits that he says in terms of how he felt at the time. Um, how he felt seeing us for the first time and those things that we'd never really spoken about. It's nice for him to, to feel good enough about it to actually be so honest and open. From a brotherly point of view, it's, it's nice because it kind of shows that he's absolutely fine with it, which kind of puts you at ease. I mean, there are a couple of times when people I'm out and about, my brothers or my mates, and people come up and say, oh, are you David Fraser? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, this is... Oh, it's weird, I just can't go over it. It's strange. I mean, of course, it's, it's lovely, it's like, People are taking the time to come up and say hi and I always try and chat to these people because they've been very kind to come over and speak to me. But yeah, I'm trying to take it my stride, pardon the pun, but I try and enjoy it. Everyone knows the story and, and all that side of it, but no one really knows about the more humorous side of it all and yeah. like sort of, you know, us as a, as a family and how we all sort of take the piss out of him and the funny side of it, which is kind of like a new, a new way of attacking his stuff now. If anything, it's, it's, it's got worse since the accident. Like, we take the piss out of each other more since. What about initially? So if we get into it, so initially when the accident happened? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. no initially, initially it was very, um, well, it was just a shock, wasn't it? So you can't, you know, 
it takes time. The only the only way you can really the only way we could get over it or start to get over it is when Henry starts to get over it. If you see him just cracking on with things and, and getting stuff done, then as a brother or a, you know mum and dad, we can't then sit and be sad the whole time if actually Henry's trying to crack on because it's not only detrimental to ourselves, but more importantly, it will bring him down and stop him from getting better. So it was, you know, once he sort of made that mental decision, then actually it made it a lot easier for, for all of us, really. When I first met Henry, it was actually at a, um, a dinner and uh, I was sat next to him and uh, I found him a massively inspiring um, guy to talk to. Uh, and I remember saying to him at the time, uh, he, uh, he should go out and inspire other people. He should go out and, and talk about his, his journey and his challenges. Uh, and uh, he sort of smiled at me and said, yeah, no, I think I could maybe do some of that. Anyway, he did, uh, he did do that. And I've seen um, a speech that he gave. It was at Saracens Rugby Club, and it is absolutely inspiring. In fact, we played part of Henry's speech um, before we played New Zealand at Eden Park. And uh, that's the influence Henry Fraser has had on not just me, but this England team. And uh, he's a special uh, man, and uh, uh, we've got a huge amount of respect for him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's part of our team. What could potentially be such a sad moment in your life, he's just turned that round yeah, of and just turned it into a massive positive. I know I've heard him say in the past, you know, I'd probably still be playing rugby, but actually I've, I think I've probably made more of my life now than I might, might have done if I'd just been playing rugby. Physically, I've got to a point now where I think I've kind of hit a good level where I'm trying to train as much as I can, but because I'm busy with other stuff, I need to kind of manage my time, manage my body so I'm not too tired been very lucky at the moment, especially since the book's come out, of things have just kind of happened. Politics might have to wait. I do some campaigning, but that's one thing I might say will never happen, but I've said that about everything I've done, so who knows. Um, but yeah, it's kind of wait and see and just kind of take everything as it comes and try and make the most of it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, then I can try something else, but we'll just see, see what happens, I guess.